Let us pray. Gracious and eternal God, we ask that you would open our hearts this day to hear your word of peace spoken to us. Let your spirit hover over us and uh, calm our troubled hearts. Help us always to trust you and to obey you in all things. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, one thing I look forward to each week is our men's gathering every Thursday morning at Humpty Dumpty. We've been doing this for quite a while now, and the conversation is always good. It's really a, a wonderful experience. Actually, we've been doing it for so long that when the waitress comes to take our breakfast orders, she just looks at me and says, the usual. Okay, so I admit it. When it comes to breakfast, I'm pretty much a stick in the mud. Even at home, I have the same breakfast pretty much every day. But there's a reason for that. I don't like to make decisions. <laughs> and I figure if I always have the same thing for breakfast, that's one decision that I don't have to make. Did you know that uh, psychologists who have studied this kind of thing claim that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions every day? Well, see, I've got it down to 34,999. <laughs> of course, most of those 35,000 decisions are quite trivial. What socks should I put on this morning? Which articles in the morning paper am I going to read? Which ones am I going to skip? But other decisions are really serious. And those are the ones that churn in our minds, that keep us awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we have these decisions to make all throughout our lives. Where should I go to college? Is this the right person for me to marry? Which of these job offers should I accept? Is it time to retire? Should I have that surgery? You know, you could make your own list of all the weighty decisions in your own life although I suspect that there's a lot of overlap among us, maybe not all at the same time, but sooner or later we all make similar kinds of big decisions. And for Christians, these decisions really boil down, or they should boil down, to what does God want me to do? Where is God leading me? And how will I know? How often I've wished that it would be as clear as Paul's vision in our first lesson today. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's clear enough leading. Usually it isn't that clear, at least not for me. So how do you feel when a big life decision looms? What's your emotion? What's your feeling? Anxiety. Anxiety. Anything else? Fear. Hmm? What was that? Adventure. Adventure, yeah. Sometimes excitement. Doubt. Doubt. Hmm? Yeah, all these things, and, and maybe all of them at once sometimes. I suppose for me, though, the biggest one, the one that comes up first, is anxiety. I, I sense there was a lot of anxiety among the disciples as they gathered in the upper room in our gospel lesson this morning. Jesus has said to them, I'm going to the Father, 
they probably did not understand exactly what that meant or would mean for them, but they were on the cusp of some of the hardest decisions that they would ever face. The teacher that they'd been following, their, their friend, their Lord, was about to face arrest and trial and crucifixion and death. So would they follow him to the cross? Or would they desert him? Or deny him? Or betray him? And then, after all those things, what would come next? Would they go back to their nets? Their tax tables? Of course, none of these things were quite clear yet in their minds. They weren't quite in focus yet. But I suspect the disciples, at the very least, knew that changes were coming. And that they would soon have to make some choices. Jesus knew this too. And in our gospel lesson, he's preparing them for what is to come. He gives them two very important words here, words of of reassurance, words of direction, words directed not only to them in that time and place, but words directed to us whenever we wrestle with decisions in our own lives. And the first word is a promise. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, he calls it. So what exactly is an advocate? Someone who speaks for you, okay. Someone who champions your cause. Someone who champions your cause, good, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, there's a whole range of meanings of that word in English, and and actually uh, the same is true in Greek. This word can be translated as advocate, or counselor, or comforter, or helper. The most basic theme here is that that an advocate is someone who gives guidance. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to guide us, to give us counsel. So how many of you are always amenable to being guided? Yeah, that's what I thought. Me too. Sometimes I'm downright resistant to guidance or to counsel. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to be in charge. Or, or, or sometimes maybe it's that we just don't know how to recognize God's guidance. You know, Paul gets such clear direction in his vision this morning. Our lesson hasn't told you what happened immediately before that. Paul and his companions had been trying to preach in Asia, and then they tried to enter Bithynia. They kept getting stymied. The writer of Acts tells us quite clearly that it was the Holy Spirit who put up the roadblocks, who kept them from doing what they planned. It's only after a whole bunch of roadblocks that Paul finally gets the vision telling them that they're to go to Macedonia. Parker Palmer is a a spiritual writer, a a Quaker. He tells about a time when he was in his 30s, and he had a sense that God was calling him in some new vocational direction, but he couldn't figure out what that was. His Quaker friends assured him that if he would just have faith, that in the the Quaker way of, of saying things, way would open. But that didn't seem to help. He was getting no direction. 
He finally talked with an older Quaker woman who was known for her wisdom. Ruth, he said, people keep telling me that way will open. While I sit in silence, I pray, I listen, but way is not opening. I still don't have the foggiest idea what I'm meant to do. Way may open for other people, it's sure not opening for me. And Ruth responded in a way that was at first a little discouraging. You know, she said, I've been a Quaker my whole life, and way has never opened in front of me. She paused, and then she added, but a lot of way is closed behind me, and that has the same guiding effect. Palmer concludes by observing that there's as much guidance in what does not and cannot happen in my life as there is in what can and does, and maybe more. So Paul and his companions thought that they knew what was the best way for them to go, and they found the doors closed. Oh, what disappointment they must have felt. It was only in retrospect that they could discern that the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Counselor, had been working in their lives by closing doors. Sometimes, maybe often, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He closes doors. But that has the same guiding effect, and and if we can but trust his leading then we can be sure that the right door will open, maybe not the one we expected or the one we hoped for, maybe not the one we planned for, maybe not at the time that we would prefer, but it's always the door that is best at the time that is best. The other word that Jesus had for his disciples for us and for us is, is this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. When we wrestle with important decisions, when we struggle to discern God's will for us, our hearts are often troubled indeed. What if I do the wrong thing? What if I make the wrong choice? It's all well and good, Jesus, to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. But that's just not working for me right now. My heart is troubled, and I can't stop my heart from being troubled. So two things to say about that. First is, Jesus knows that your heart is troubled. He knows it, or he wouldn't say this. But he also knows it in a deeper sense that we must never forget. Just two chapters earlier, Jesus himself had said, Now is my soul deeply troubled. See, Jesus was fully human. He was was like us in every respect, tested as we are, the letter to the Hebrews says. He knew that his disciples' hearts were troubled that night in the upper room, and he knew what that felt like. And he knows when our hearts are troubled as well. He knows when we are anxious or confused or uncertain. And he knows how it feels. He knows us right well. 
But the other thing to say is that, that this is one of those instances when our English translation doesn't serve us very well. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But in the Greek, those first three words, do not let, they aren't really there. It's hard to translate this into English, but if, if we were going to translate it woodenly, literally, word for word, it would be something like this. Be not troubled, your hearts. It's really not so much advice as it is a command. It's kind of like when Jesus speaks to the stormy tempest on the Sea of Galilee. Peace, be still, and the storm stops. And the command isn't so much to me, but it's directly to my heart. He's not asking me to try and figure out how I can calm my heart so much as he's directly commanding my heart to be calm. And all of this leads a couple of verses later to this. I have told you this so that you may believe. Okay, here's a good theological tip for you. Almost always, when the Bible says believe, just substitute the word trust. To believe in God, to have faith in God, is to trust God. It's a movement of the heart more than of the mind. I've told you about this, Jesus says, told you about the advocate, the counselor. I've told you about this gift of peace that I give you so that you may trust. He calls us again, you see, to that movement of the heart that says, no matter what else is happening, no matter what the storms of life may be, I can trust Jesus. That is true, my dear friends, in every aspect of our lives. We can trust him to close doors and to open doors. We can trust him in our decisions, great and small. We can trust him in our joys and in our sorrows, in our anxieties and our doubts and our fears. We, we can trust him to be merciful and bless us. We can trust him to give us his gift of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.